Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I'm glad you're here today. Today isn't going to be necessarily an easy conversation, but it's the hard conversations that we need to be having right now. I I didn't plan it the way it all fell into place because I couldn't have, quite frankly. But the day that I recorded this interview was the day after the Derek Chauvin jury verdict in which he was convicted on all counts of being guilty for killing George Floyd, not in the way a police officer was in any way, shape, or form supposed to act. And, you know, here we are at the end of April 2021. I did a podcast interview last year with Eric Johnson. It was episode 17, if you would like to revisit that. And quite frankly, I didn't feel any, I really didn't feel qualified at that point to be having a conversation about racism, especially being a white woman. And a year later, Basically, I still don't feel qualified to be having that conversation, but here's what I know. I know that I have a platform, and I know that I have listeners, and I know that people are coming here to be educated. So for that, I am grateful, eternally grateful, that kind of the stars aligned, and my next guest is here to share the philosophy of nonviolence that was taught by Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm so grateful to have Dr. Elizabeth Rosner, who is a certified trainer for the philosophy and methodology of nonviolence for the Martin Luther King Jr. Center in Atlanta and founder of the Beloved Community Coalition. And it's the, their mission is to promote Dr. King's theory and practice of nonviolence 365 all over the world. She is just such a delight and so knowledgeable. And currently she is coaching young people on how to graduate fully debt-free from college in the U.S., helping them map a career trajectory of personal and community impact. And you'll hear how the two of these um, methodologies and philosophies of nonviolence kind of collide into helping students graduate debt-free so they can have more personal and community impact and they're not laden with debt. So we've talked about a lot about college admissions in um, the previous two episodes back with Debbie Goldstein. So if you haven't listened to that one, go listen. It is episode... 61. So go back and listen to episode 61 with Debbie Goldstein. That really talks about the college admissions process. But what we really talk about here today, we talk about a variety of different things. And Dr. Roz and I really kind of dig in into um, some, you know, somewhat uncomfortable, depthful topics. And I just want to put a big asterisk on this show. By no means do I feel like I'm an expert when it comes to the topic of nonviolence or racism, by far, I am not an expert, but I am committed to having difficult conversations. And I am committed 
to continually learning and growing for myself so I can be better, so I can have more influence, so I can have better conversations, and I can help my brothers and sisters of color. So as always, please listen to this episode and take the insights and do something with them. So I really want you to think about what are you going to do to not only educate yourself, which by the way, kudos for you for being here, for this being a piece of your education. I know I learned so much from Dr. Roz, but what else are you going to do after this episode's over to either order a book, to visit thekingcenter.org, where you can learn more about Dr. King's philosophies, maybe take a course, maybe you join the Facebook group, Be the Bridge, which Dr. Roz will talk about. But please take action and do one thing. I don't care what that one thing is, but do one thing to enhance and grow your awareness around how you can be a better ally and how you can depth in your knowledge around the subject of racism and nonviolence. So with that being your mission going into this episode, please listen to this amazing conversation with the exuberant, vibrant Dr. Roz. I can't wait for her to share her wisdom with you. So let's dive into the episode. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. All right, Dr. Roz, I'm so glad you are here today. I'm excited for this interview. We have been planning this for a while. And so thank you for sharing your time with us today. I'm so excited. I cannot tell you how excited I am. I mean, um, when Elisa introduced us and we just hit it off and, you know, it's not like I meet a ton of people and I go, well, I'm just not crazy about them or I don't really, I can't find, but there are just certain people that you just know that, um, you know, give us a couple of hours or 10 or 20 hours and we can just, <laughs> da, 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 da. so, uh, so it was so great. And, um, as a result of that first conversation, I subscribed to the podcast. And so, um, I'm already a huge fan. And then to be asked to be a guest, I'm just, uh, very honored. So thank you so much for having uh, me. Thank you so much. I felt exactly the same way. You know, when there's just that energy between people, I mean, we got on, I think for a 30 minute introduction call and we just ended up chatting, chatting, chatting away. And it was, um, just, I, I love it. And I love, I love your energy. I love everything you're doing. Um, which is why, you know, after that initial conversation, I asked you to be on the podcast immediately because your message is so powerful and I really want to get it out to my listeners. I feel a personal responsibility. You know, I've built a platform and I have a platform in which I can help educate. And my whole premise is around helping people you know, lead their life in every aspect of their life. And 
the information you're going to share today, I know is a very important needed part of that. So thank you for saying yes. And thank you for being here. So I would love, yeah, we'd love for you just to share a little bit about yourself, where you're from and your career history with my audience. Ah, That's a, that's a long loaded question. Um, (laughs) I, um, I worked in higher ed in some way, shape or form for about 30 years. And I retired uh, about two years ago and uh, just kind of branched out on my own just to kind of figure out what, what is the next thing? And I love college students. I love students in general. I love of that transition, um, helping folks figure out how they're going to go from high school into college and into a job, um, figuring out who they are as people. Um, all of that is just, um, every bit of that is, is something that is near and dear to me. And, you know, there are a lot of folks that say, I like kindergartners or I like adults or whatever, but, but there aren't tons of us who say, I love that that messy, you know, 16 to 25 age range. And, um, and that really is my sweet spot. And so I, I just enjoyed that group in, uh, April of 2018. So before I retired, I attended a two day orientation of Dr. Martin Luther King's philosophy of nonviolence at the King Center here in Atlanta, which is where I am. And it changed my life. And I don't say that um, in any kind of, you know, hyperbolic way. I I am sincere in that. Mm -hmm. And I have a mentor who says that our identity is where we put our dent in in the universe. Where's your dent? And when I sat there and listened to the methodology and philosophy of nonviolence, I said, this is this is my dent. This is my identity. And this is what I want to spend the rest of my days doing is talking to people about nonviolence. So there are lots of ways that I've incorporated that in terms of working with college students. I have some things on the horizon where um, I have a vision for nonviolent schools, K-12 schools. The county where I live is Gwinnett County here in Georgia. It's um, one of the largest school systems in the nation. There are 180,000 students. It is 33% Latino or Hispanic, 32% African American, 11% Asian, and 20% Caucasian. And so it really represents that melting pot. And so uh, one of the things that that I want to do is um, get certified, get a curriculum, get things together to um, formulate um, Gwinnett County to be a county of nonviolent schools. And what does that look like when 180,000 students are incorporating this philosophy of nonviolence, both personally and culturally, and then society, you know, in the, the greater society? And then what does that look like when there are 100 and they've taught their children and grandchildren and great grandchildren? And so, yeah. um, so lots of different ways that, that we can go with this. But um, Dr. King's um, philosophy and methodology really provides this phenomenal framework. And then, you know, with my PhD in educational policy studies, it's just a, a great marriage of the two. So um, that's kind of it at a, a I guess, the the overall 30,000 foot view. <laughs> yeah. So, so I love you so much because um, of your humility. So I would love for you to talk about the story of how you got started with the Martin Luther King Center in Atlanta and a little bit, you know, about your involvement there, how you got started and, and really talk to us about what does that mean? What does it mean 
the philosophy and methodology of nonviolence. You know, if you could just maybe talk a little bit about that as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated in April of 1968. In June of that year, so just mere weeks later, his w- wife, Coretta Scott King, founded the King Center. And she wanted it to be a West Point of nonviolence. And um, she writes in her autobiography that it became her fifth child. And um, she really it, she really had the vision to take nonviolence all over the world and to, to raise up up this this group of of trainers and then generations of folks who are practicing nonviolence and um, under her leadership it certainly did that and then you know there were different folks who led the center that kind of went in different directions and then her youngest daughter Dr. Bernice King um, when she became the CEO she again picked up that mantle of specifically for training so the King Center you know since its founding has done phenomenal work to uh, promote nonviolence all over the world, but not necessarily specifically the training aspect. So um, as I mentioned, in April of 2018, I found out about the training on Twitter. So I I didn't have any connection to the King Center or anything. And um, I attended this training and some question I asked put me on the radar of them. And um, for those of you that know me that are listening to this, you know, I can ask some questions. So I don't know what really specifically what question it was, but I apparently something I asked or said at that April uh, two day orientation prompted Dr. Bernice King to email me and say, I'm putting together a training team. Um, we're being asked to teach my father's philosophy all over the world. And um, we want to put together this cohort of trainers. Are you interested? Well, you know, I don't know anybody that would tell Dr. Bernice King no for anything. Um, I know, agree. If, <laughs> you know, if um, if uh, if she asked me to do something, then the answer is always just yes, man. And so, uh, so I was so obviously so honored um, to even be considered. And I get to the first training. It's every Tuesday night and every weekend from September to February. And I don't know if she's asked a hundred people or a thousand people. I mean, I have no idea. And I get there. And um, there were 12 of us in that team, in addition to um, three senior instructors. And I'm the only one who is not African-American. So um, that really um, is something that I do hold very humbly and very dearly because Dr. King's philosophy is for every single person. And I appreciate that, that Dr. Bernice had the intention you know, in terms of diversity, there's a lot of diversity in terms of our age and in terms of our professions and lots of different ways. And that was just yet another way. But um, in, in the course of my training, I realized um, how many of the other trainers had this really long history with Dr. King. And in um, mine, again, apparently started with some questions that I asked during that two days. So um, so that's how I got involved with the King Center. And I, I like when I when I pull up there, like physically when I'm there at the center, which obviously I haven't been very often, we haven't even been open in the last year, it feels like home. And for those of you that haven't been to Atlanta, if you want to come to Atlanta and visit, then call me and I'll take you to Historic Ebenezer and take you to the King Center and take you to the Birth Home. It's just all right there. It's just a, a phenomenal 
piece of living history. It truly is. Um, Dr. King's philosophy of nonviolence is built on um, Gandhi's philosophy, which was built on a, a, an essay that Thoreau wrote. And so, you know, so it's not um, it's not out of the clear blue. You know, and, and Dr. King talks about how he arrived at his philosophy of nonviolence um, in his first book. And he the thing that sets him apart um, in terms of of how I view things is, number one, he has six principles and six steps. And these six principles are how do we live our life? How do we govern our life? And um, there's an organization in Rhode Island. who It's actually Nonviolent Schools Rhode Island. Um, Robin Wildman has taken those six principles and she has, has adapted them for an elementary school curriculum. And so this is something that four-year-olds and 104-year-olds can learn and, and understand. So, you know, nonviolence is a way of life for, uh, you know, courageous people or nonviolence chooses love instead of hate. Um, right now we have a, a campaign going on um, called Be Love. And there's a, if you go to the website, kingcenter.org, there's a Be Love pledge. And it's, it's something, it's not just this, you know, fluffy, you know, I love everybody. I mean, it's a, it's when you think about the power of loving on someone, particularly loving someone that may be difficult to love, loving someone who thinks differently than you or who looks differently than you. And how do you embrace that true agape love? And so that's why Dr. King's philosophy to me is the most powerful of all of the ones for nonviolence because it provides this framework, because it provides, and then there are six steps. So how do you address conflict? But those six steps work, you know, obviously in terms of, you know, massive conflicts, but those six steps work when I'm having a conflict with my child or I'm having a conflict with my husband, you know, how are the ways that I, you know, can, can get more information. And so, you know, and really looking at how you incorporate that. So again, I, I could talk for hours and hours and hours about this. No, I love it. If I had love it, you're looking for but. Absolutely. So Dr. Ross, would you mind sharing um, what what are those six steps? And would you mind kind of taking us into that framework a little bit so we can, so my listeners, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm big around providing insights that people can turn into action. Yes. And they can walk away from this podcast doing something different in their workplace, at home, in their community. And so I would love for there to be an actionable lesson here. Um, yes. So I would love for you to share the six steps if you yeah. don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So first of all, uh, the King Center's definition of nonviolence. Nonviolence is a love-centered way of thinking, speaking, and acting that leads to personal cultural and societal transformation. So that first piece is personal transformation. And I think so often, Natalie, um, particularly um, we're, we're recording this the day after the, the Chauvin verdict yes. was announced. Yes. And so, um, so particularly folks are saying, how can I get involved in my community, which is phenomenal. And we love that. But don't forget that, that it starts with me. So it starts with that personal, that personal commitment, that personal transformation. And so all the the uh, the six steps and the six principles are on the website, kingcenter.org. So the six steps are information gathering. 
So where is it that I need to go get information to find out about this, this particular entity or whatever? Um, the, the second step is education. So who needs to be involved? Who do I need to bring to the table? Uh, the third step is personal commitment. So am I committed to a way of life of nonviolence? And then, um, then that fourth step is negotiation. And so looking at all the entities and of course, you know, you're looking at power structures. And so, you know, if somebody is um, say somebody is a, a cashier in a, in a retail space, they may not be able to necessarily negotiate with the CEO. And so how can they bring folks to the table, you know, to make sure that equals are negotiating with equals um, and then it's direct action. And there are lots of forms of direct action and then um, it's reconciliation. So what, the ultimate goal, obviously, is reconciliation. Um, obviously, I think what, what most folks see is that direct action piece. And if you're doing it according to the way that Dr. King laid it out, all of those steps are underlaid by all six principles, number one, and then the steps that come before that. So steps one, two, and three, uh, the personal commitment, education, uh, information gathering, those are constant. I mean, you're constantly doing those. And so, um, you know, uh, for, for example, this is kind of a goofy example, but um, this happened to me recently. So um, I love Audible books. And, um, you know, I, uh, you know, you get X amount of credits a month and whatever. But mm -hmm. somebody was saying, well, the library has free books on audio. So right. I was like, oh, well, that's great. So I, you know, go and I sign up for my library card and I download the little app and I get this little notification that says um, the book that I have requested is uh, is is available. Now, I love Audible books, but I'm not crazy about the, the e-reader books. And this particular book that I wanted, it wasn't available in audio version. And so I ordered the print version. And so when I get this notification, I'm excited to go pick up this print book. And so I'm looking on this app and I'm a little frustrated that it doesn't say the address. It doesn't say the hours. It doesn't say any of this thing. And I'm, I'm really kind of frustrated with thinking like who developed this app? Because, um, you know, really they just need to put a lot more Right. Put into it. OK, so so that's my information gathering. Plus, I'm thinking about who I need to educate on whether or not, um, you know, this app is really user friendly. And so and am I also committed to nonviolence? Like I'm not going to go off on this person, but I'm going to kindly say, you know, hey, y'all may want to think about blah, 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 blah. So I have to go out of the app and then Google what are the hours, um, you know, of the branch, because I want to make sure that I could go pick it up when, you know, so I get to the library, you know, of course, I'm all masked up. The library is completely closed. It's pickup only. So um, I walk into the lobby and um, I think she was five. Probably she was 25, but she looked really young. And she said, hi, how can I help you? And I said, hey, I'm here to pick up this book. And, you know, I'm getting ready to tell her, you know, how confusing the app was. And then I wish it had more information. And I said, can you tell me, um, you know, because I haven't picked up a book here, how I can pick up this book. And she said, oh, that's that's an ebook. So so you could just go ahead and download it. So I needed to do more information gathering to find out, oh, I had not ordered a print book. I had ordered an ebook. It was available immediately. It didn't require me having to go to the library. And also the app that I was looking at was not the app for the library system. It was the app for the audio and e-reader system that's used uh, nationwide. 
That's information gathering. That's education. That's commitment. That's a small, tiny little example. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things that you can see how you could replicate that, you know. And so all of us, if you're looking at, you know, let's say you're looking at a prism, you know, and you're looking at this facet of it and that's all you're seeing. And you're yeah. thinking this is the way it is because this is what I'm seeing, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, somebody's on the other side saying, oh, no, no, no. It's, you know, it's jagged over here. And both of you are correct. It's possible for both of you to be correct. So it's how do you get that information to one another with that that positive regard for one another with that agape? So, again, keeping those six principles as always as our, you know, we're always undergirded by that. Perfect. So, Dr. Ross, you, you brought it up and I'm so glad you did because we are recording this a day after Chauvin was found guilty and I did an episode absolutely actually last year after George Floyd uh, passed away Mm -hmm. and was killed with um, an African-American friend of mine, Eric Johnson. And we talked about how do we end racism because we're both white women. And I think a lot of people in our age group and, you know, white people in general feel a little helpless of like, what do I do? How can I help? And so I want to invite you to help answer that question is what do what can we do for our friends of color for our our colleagues of color who you know are in our workplace um who have been through so much not only this last year but the previous years but for many of us this has been just highlighted um in the media at such a level but there's been so many cases and i know a lot of people you know are feeling kind of helpless of like, I don't know what to do and and how to help. And so do you have any insight around that? Yeah. Yeah. That is a huge question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, five hour conversation (laughs) and, or please come to all the trainings that we're offering at the King center sincerely. And that, that is a plug. I I'm teaching um, in a few weeks, uh, a series uh, with a, a team um, called Understanding and Applying Nonviolence. And so um, we talk about the personal application and also mobilizing and organizing. What does that look like in our community? And so um, lots of organizations out there are doing that kind of training. Um, you know, obviously the King Center is the one that's led by Dr. King's daughter. And so, you know, that's, you know, in terms of Kingy and nonviolence, that's the premier place to be. Yes. What I would say um, for me, is uh, do a lot of reading and do a lot of listening. Um, there are several groups on Facebook who, um, for example, I'm uh, also a part of an organization called Be the Bridge, which is just a just a phenomenal organization. But when you when you start with them, there's a class called Whiteness 101. And when you when you start and you're on Facebook, they, them and several other groups, then if you're if you're white, you're expected to be actively listening, actively scrolling through to see what's going on and also not commenting, not hitting like, not anything. Really understanding that um, there's so much out there. There's so much information out there that we can access. And also what typically happens is you go to your one black friend and they become your professor and that is exhausting for them. Uh, we and, talked about that in the podcast episode. Right. That that was actually something I learned because right. I did that. Because I did that. 
And luckily I have this beautiful relationship with my friend Mm -hmm. and he was like, you know, look, you're doing what every other white person Mm -hmm. is doing and you're putting, we're already experiencing the burden, the burden's on you. Go educate yourself. Yes. I mean, he said it much nicer than that, but but, you know, he, he, his point was, is like, it's not, we already have such a burden on us and it's not our job to educate you. Go take the initiative, have an insatiable curiosity, go learn for yourself and and do the work of the education. Don't go call your one or two black friends to find out what you should be doing. Right. 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 And also I just had this conversation with a really dear friend uh, the other day who is white and she was expressing frustration that, um, you know, I feel like I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't say this. And, you know, then there's just nothing I can do. Like I just can't win. And, um, because of the relationship that she and I have that, I mean, we're, we're talking about a 30 year friendship and I, I was able to say that is a typical response from a white woman of our age because it lets us off the hook. If, if you, if you get frustrated here and you get frustrated there because so much of our culture is built around whiteness, then anytime we experience friction, it makes us feel uncomfortable and like, you know, then, then, um, but it's because it's built that way. You know, we say that a lot at the King Center. It's not that the system is broken. The system is built this way. And when you really unpack some of those, I mean, like I, I really had to unpack some of the narratives and some of the myths that I had been taught. And um, there, there are some things, I mean, my, my son is almost 22. There are some things that I taught him, you know, that I, I believe wholeheartedly that um, I had not really fully examined, you know, and it's not until you, you really are open to that examination. Um, you know, I talked about that facet where, where you can look at something and somebody on one side is seeing one thing and somebody on another side is seeing another thing. Certainly the pandemic has um, helped us both branch out and retreat into our bubble, if that makes sense. And so mm-hmm. we all get those get those opportunities. For me, um, I had a business that was primarily face to face prior to, uh, you know, last March. Not solely. I had some students in other places, but primarily face to face. Now it's completely online. And, um, you know, I I routinely talk to folks in South Africa. I'm in a group that it's it's a marketing group and there are folks from South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, the UK. I'm the only one from the United States in this group. Oh, wow. So, you know, it just like Zoom has just made the world Mm-hmm. both expand and also brought the world to me at, at, you know, and so we all have that opportunity, but what happens is I, I want to say this like as, as kindly and gently as I can say it, um, read, 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 listen, listen, listen. If anything doesn't sit right with you, just don't verbalize that. Just, you know, just, just, when, when your black friends say, blah, 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 you know, this is how this makes me feel, or this is what we're experiencing, accept what they're saying as the truth, mm-hmm. and then figure out what you're going to do about it. Don't expend energy to let them know how that's not accurate, how that's right. not, you know, um, and, and my, my 
friends are all exhausted, every, every single one of them. And, and, you know, even yesterday, so we had this verdict. Just, just to clarify, your white friends or your black friends? My black friends. Okay. okay. Are exhausted, yeah. you mean? Yeah. You, yeah. You yes. just said my friends are exhausted, but yes, I just wanted to, I just, I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Well, I think my, I think I do have some white friends that are exhausted too, but they're exhausted in a different reason. And many of them are exhausted because they're seeing themselves uh, diminish and they're seeing their power diminish mm-hmm. and they're doing what they need to do to try to maintain that power, which is a far different scenario than seeing every single person on this planet as my brother or sister, that we're all interconnected, that we're in this world house. That's what Dr. King talked about is that we're all interconnected. And, you know, even one of, one of the things that really struck me in the, in the midst of the two day um, when I attended it. And one of the things that I um, continue to talk to my students about is the myth of independence. And that's something that we're taught primarily, you know, here um, in the United States is, you know, you built it on your own. You don't need any help whatsoever. Well, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a solopreneur. I don't have, you know, I, I, I do, I literally do it all. And yet I am not Al Gore. I did not build the internet. I certainly didn't build this computer. You know, these these jewels that I'm wearing, y'all can't see it because it's recording. But, you know, I, I did not string these together and put them around my neck. You know, I mean, all these different places where I am dependent upon all yeah. these different people before I even walk out of my bedroom every day. Much right. like all the other ways that we're all interconnected. And so um, so just just seeing that dichotomy and just encouraging folks um, there's so much information out there. There's there are so many resources. Dr. King has written a lot of books. His last book, uh, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community, was written. Um, it sounds like it was written in 2021. It honestly does. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that he talked about um, that we're still experiencing. Um, and yet yesterday, um, it's like I'm I am both hopeful and still quite burdened by all the work that we have left to do. It's hopeful that given that preponderance of evidence that the jury, excuse me, came back with that, with those guilty verdicts unanimously and, you know, frankly, quite quickly, you know, that's, that is, that is some hope. However, if it were not for a 17 year old brave young woman, we wouldn't be seeing that. And what happens, you know, it's it's those dichotomies of, of what happens to, you know, here in Atlanta, we had a, a massive uh, shooting several weeks ago where a, a man went into three different spas and, and killed, yeah. you know, several different women. He was apprehended and, and he was, you know, obviously not convicted, but he, everybody, I mean, his parents turned him in. So, you know, it, it was pretty well known that he was the shooter of, of in these three different instances. And yet he was taken without deadly force. Right. So um, when you look at there's a, there's a film about Dylan Roof who, who shot um, the folks at in the in Charleston at the AME church. You know, he was apprehended the next day. If you're watching that video, the man who the, the law enforcement officer who's approaching that driver's side door. He he puts his weapon in the holster as he approaches that door, and and 
we knew that he was, you know, suspected of shooting, obviously, eight people. Right. And yet, if you were under suspicion of possibly maybe passing a $20 bill or, you know, as in the case the other day where, you know, a, a young man is, is not even holding a gun and, right. and the narrative that's coming out is blah, 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 blah. You know, this video evidence is really becoming um, so prevalent. And so uh, hopeful about the, the direction that things are going. And yet, again, so much work to be done. And, and the verdict came out and simultaneously there, were, there was a young woman who was killed yesterday, mm-hmm. shot, shot by police. Um, you know, whether or not, I mean, I, I can't legislate every, every situation. I can just only say that every single person has dignity and worth. And are there not other ways that we could, you know, have talked to this 13 year old or have talked to the 15 year old yesterday, some, some other way to engage that didn't involve deadly force where for other people, deadly force is not applied. So Dr. Oz, one of the things you talk about as part of the the six um, steps is a lot around education. And I know this is a passion point of yours, but you know, how do we impact our youth and what is the impact of nonviolence and education in schools? I'd love to hear your perspective on that. I mean, I, that to me is transformative. If you could, if you can imagine, you know, where is it that every, every one of our youth in some way, shape or form is, um, is intersecting and it's in some type of educational system. And even, even folks who are doing homeschool, are using some sort of curriculum. And so what does that look like if we begin incorporating nonviolence? And again, this, this, I just attended a webinar um, a couple of weeks ago and, and this lady in, in Rhode Island is already, you know, doing this. And um, she talked about the, like, let's say there's a conflict in a classroom. You know, oftentimes what happens is basically the student who gets caught is the one that gets in trouble, right? And so she has this whole formula where you you talk to everybody. That's the information gathering and that's mm-hmm. the education in terms of the, the six steps. And, you know, so it's not just the person that got caught. Well, what was going on in this situation? Yeah. You know, and, and um, you know, to walk in and just, you know, to say to this student, you have dignity. You know, it's it's not that you're the culmination of the worst thing you've ever done. And um, we, um, we recently went into before uh, COVID, um, a, a small part of our team went in just into a middle school um, just for, you know, I think it was like eight weeks or something. And I mean, these students embraced it. They understood it. They were really practicing it. It was, I mean, you can see it because there's so much dignity and worth in these six principles. And then how do you live that out? And um, certainly it's not easy, um, but what, what we've got going on right now is not easy. And what we've got going on right now is um, is not always uplifting every single student. If you look at um, some of the disparities that we have going on in education. And so having that, um, that understanding that nonviolence is that personal and then cultural and then societal transformation is, um, is really, really powerful. 
And so when when you think about um, one school system in Rhode Island, one school system in Georgia, and then there are 159 counties in Georgia. So if we replicate that 158 more times, and then we replicate it across the United States, and then what does it look like to take it internationally? And that's exciting to me. That's that is a place where we can put our focus and where we can say, let's let's kind of figure. I mean, I don't know if you if you have ever seen um, some of the curriculum or some of the questions that they used to ask ninth graders, you know, 100 years ago. It's something that I don't know that college graduates could ask now. You know, the curriculum was so different then. Right. And so I think in terms of um, making things so standardized where no one is standard you know, has, um, I mean, there's, there's obviously some benefits to that, but then, you know, how can we take what we've got this, this, the system that we have and revamp it in such a way that it works for everyone? Mm-hmm. Well, and I love what you're sharing about the holistic perspective, right? Around education and about treating a situation where, you know, maybe someone did get in a fight and not, and, but really getting the information because, you know, sometimes the person that throws that first punch has been bullied for weeks and weeks and months before that. And they finally just, it, it's the last straw for them. And, you know, not getting that whole information and then blaming basically the victim, right? I'm not advocating that and I'm not saying it's appropriate. But what I'm saying is, unless you have the whole story and really have a true understanding of that situation, you know, you really are in this situation where that person is never going to feel heard never going to feel understood, never going to feel dignified. And and that's how we end up in situations where we have school shootings and, you know, all of this violence is because, you know, a lot of those kids were shunned. A lot of those kids were, um, you know, left out or made to feel like they didn't belong. And I I think this type of education, you know, of nonviolence is so imperative for our educational system. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and it gives folks, again, it's that, it's that personal framework. So you take it wherever you go, mm-hmm. you know, in whatever sphere you're showing up to show up in, um, in a stance and posture of nonviolence. And, and what does that look like is, is, is super powerful and also transformative for those around you. So I love what you're sharing about schools. How can we um, translate some of this nonviolent education in to the workplace with our colleagues and, you know, what do we do as leaders? I have, you know, a lot of people that are listening that do have kids. So this part of the conversation was helpful around education um, in schools, but what about for those people who are in the workplace who, you know, either are not in leadership positions or are in leadership positions and can affect change? What, what advice do you have for them? You know, um, again, going back to some of those trainings, we we um, at the King Center, we we offer training for students, you know, really young all the way through adults. We have a lot of corporate leaders that come through. Um, We've had corporations that have asked us to come in and do training. And so there are lots and lots of opportunities um, through the King Center for corporations to to plug in. Um, Lots of places where, um, you know, say, for example, if there's if you have like like a, a city leadership if, if there's a group of le- city leaders, you know, from corporations mm-hmm. or civic leaders or whatever, then they can, you know, put this into practice and looking at that. And, and again, making sure that it's starting with you and then, and then building out. And so it's, 
nonviolence is one of those things, you know, there's, there's, uh, there was a push, you know, to kind of check some boxes in terms of some curriculum and things, but nonviolence is one of those things that really is transformative. And so it's not come sit and hear this webinar and go home and then check the box that I've attended. This is come and learn a philosophy, learn a methodology, and then put that into practice again in every aspect. I mean, you can look at, you know, um, some really minor places where you may put it. And then, you know, if let's say you've got, you know, a corporate situation where where everybody has embraced nonviolence. What does that look like in terms of um, uh, employees, in terms of how you treat um folks in terms of, you know, essential or not, you know, when we look at what we label as essential, and then what are we providing that essential worker to let them know that to us, essential means blah, 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 blah. You know, in some ways you talk about hypocrisy in some ways that's, that doesn't always, that's not always adding up. Right. Yep. And so, you know, um, like you're working from home, I'm working from home. You know, but there there are a lot of folks who who aren't able to do that and they're essential and we needed them. And yet, did we provide for them? We collectively as a society provide for them. Um, and and if we were a nonviolent society, if it was the beloved community, what would that look like? So, you know, when folks talk about um, certain people shouldn't get, you know, a minimum wage or, or, or whatever. Um, I mean. If someone, if, if you, if you expect your, your high school student to quit high school to have worked in a grocery store at nine o'clock in the morning, then, okay, have your child do that. But if you expect for your child, your high school student, that's, that's a typical argument, right? Well, you know, high school students shouldn't get minimum wage, but, you know, it's not high school students who are, are performing these tasks mm-hmm. day in, day out for 40, 50 hours a week, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you talked about you being an entrepreneur. And so I would love for you to share with my listeners a little bit about your business and then how it ladders up to um, your philosophy of nonviolence and your practice of nonviolence. Yes. Yes. So um, as I mentioned, I uh, worked for 30 years um, with college students. And so um, when I first went out on my own, I thought, now what what could I, you know, what could I do as an entrepreneur? And um, one of the first things I developed was uh, Grit, which was a course for students and a course for parents to help them become successful in college. And the acronym Grit stands for goal-oriented, resilient, interconnected, and tenacious. And so when you think about, um, you know, begin with the end in mind, you know, that's the goal-oriented piece. And then resilience. So sometimes you've got this huge goal and you're looking at this mountain and you're thinking, how in the world am I ever going to accomplish this? And you have to have resilience. It's that whole, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And then that interconnected piece, understanding that we're all interconnected, that working um, working smarter, not harder is a way to, you know, like, for example, if you, you know, if you're looking at college essays, then you can write two or three, four really good essays and then maybe reuse those several times for different ones or whatever. And so lots of ways that things can be interconnected. And then tenacious, you know, it's not 
practice makes perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect. So what are you putting into place that's going to translate into habits later on? And so um, from there, I just developed, I I ended up developing um, like seven different courses and several different coaching programs. And lots of them got some sort of traction, but the one that kept coming up over and over and over and over. And so that's why I've really... um, done away with the other six and I'm only focused on debt-free degree because it is, it is so imperative. Um, number one, in terms of our society, when you think about the beloved community, the beloved community doesn't say to a 22 year old college graduate, okay, you get to, you get to walk around with this $50,000 boulder on the back of your back as, as you walk out the door when other people don't. And so there's there's um, 30 billion with a B dollars in scholarships out there. And it may not be that you get to go to the school that you most hearts, your heart's desire. But what is it that, again, begin with the end in mind? So what does that look like? Um, and so with grit in terms of the debt free degree, it's uh, grants and scholarships return on investment. And this is something that um uh, two weeks ago, I was talking to somebody and it was a, a lady who had heard uh, I talked to some high school students and there was a lady there who said, hey, my sister is in school. Um, will you talk to her? And I said, absolutely. So this was, you know, a, a woman. She was about 45. She had had her kids early. They were out of the house. She wanted to be a lawyer. And so she was currently enrolled in a for profit online school Um for her bachelor's degree with the goal of going to law school. Mm -hmm. And I said, how much are you in debt right now? And she said about 20,000 and she kind of shrugged. And I said, okay, you've done about half of your degree. And she said, yes. And I said, so you're looking at having a debt of $40,000 just after your undergrad, before you go to law school, how long and at what salary are you going to have to work? to pay off as a lawyer to pay off this initial $40,000 before you ever think about law school. And Natalie, just this, this, this look came over her face and she said, I I never thought about that. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, we need to think about that. We need to think about, you know, what does this debt look like? So return on investment is super important. Again, that interconnected piece, when you think about, if, if you have, you know, um, the trajectory of someone from state school A who has a degree in English, who graduates with no debt versus same school, same major, uh, major graduating with $50,000 in debt. What does that look like? What is the what is the personal um, impact? What is the community impact? In what ways is it nonviolence? to help folks graduate debt-free. And then that last part is uh, T, is my triangle approach. And so I talk about the triangle approach, um, SM, FM, and OPM. So SM is student money. What are the students putting in? So, um, you know, I was talking to um, somebody about a year ago and she had a job at a retail store. She was selling clothes and she enjoyed selling the clothes and she had cute clothes. And um, But I said, what would it look like? And, and also this, this clothing store would put her on the schedule for 10, 15, sometimes 20 hours a week, but on call. So she was really only working about four hours a week sometimes. Uh-huh. And I said, what would it look like if you went to another organization where they put you on the on the schedule and you had a reasonable idea that number one, you were going to work those hours. But number two, they offered tuition assistance. 
you know, if you've got to be somewhere for a couple of hours, then yeah. what does that look like in terms of student lending? My daughter, you know? my daughter has a friend who works at Starbucks and Starbucks has a tuition assistance program. Yes. And yeah, and she's taking full advantage of it, which is incredible. Absolutely. 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 So, um, so that's SM, you know, again, if you, if you, um, like I, I, uh, I did this with some things, if you're looking at how do you, how do you allocate money? How do you, how do you say, okay, do I want this or do I want this? It's that beginning with the end in mind. It's thinking that long-term number one. So that's SM, the student money how they're going to do student input. FM, that's your friends, your folks, your family, people you're familiar with. That's theirs. And so um, I talk about my husband and I went to Israel a couple of years ago and it was a $10,000 trip. And we found out about it in January and we didn't want to go into savings to do it. And, you know, we had a a son in college. And so, um, so we, you know, and so I basically opened up account and, Every single time that I wanted to do X, whatever money I would have spent, I just slid over. You know, if somebody said, you know, hey, I want to get you something for your birthday. I want to get you something for, you know, whatever. I would say, hey, can you contribute to our Israel fund or whatever? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that FM, it adds up, especially tell people, you know, books are books can be up to five hundred dollars a semester. Yep. Five hundred dollars a semester. So, um, you know, think about how much, you know, you could get just from your friends and family, you know, GoFundMe's or whatever. And then OPM, that's my favorite. That's other people's money. <laughs> so I did this uh, not too long ago in Australia. And um, I was talking to a lady and I said, you know, SMFM. And I said, and obviously, you know, OPM, right? And she said, no. And I said, other people's money. She starts howling. <laughs> she thought I said OPM. Oh, and she thought I was encouraging drug sales. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> OPM, other people's money. And that's where the 30 billion in scholarships come from. That's where, um, you know, as I, I've shared with Natalie, I have three degrees, including my PhD, and I only took $1,000 in loans. Now, did I go to my dream schools? Mm, not exactly. Um, did I make a lot of sacrifices? Yes. When I was in my PhD program, I was working full time at one institution of higher ed. I was teaching online for a second institution. I had a six year old at home um, and I I was getting my Ph.D. So, you know, we do have to make sacrifices. I talked with a a lady not too long ago uh, about something completely different. But then when she asked me, well, what do you do, you know, full time? And I said, debt free degree. She said, oh, I wish I'd had you before. She said um, between her undergrad and master's, she was in debt $70,000. That's how much she had. Wow. Because of the type of loans that she took, she's been paying on them. I think she said five or six years. And she now owes over a hundred thousand dollars. And she was teary telling me this. And she said, I'll, I'll never own a home. And her, her master's was in um, social work. And we know that those right. are not necessarily positions that pay a tremendous amount. Certainly not one that you may want to think about accruing $70,000 in debt for. But one of the things she said was, I mean, I was in my master's and, you know, I had to take all those loans because I mean, I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't work. I mean, the program was full time. 
And of course, she's already done this. And so I, I didn't say this to her. But in my mind, I was thinking, if you work 40 hours a week, what percentage of that is your hours per week? It's really, really low. Like I'm not looking at it right now. I want to say right. like 20%, 22% right. or something. If I work a 40 hour week and it's 22% of my week. So I've got 78% of my week left where I need to eat and sleep and exercise and study. I, I probably can have the mindset to do that. But if I have the mindset that I can't work or do anything during a full-time school program, then, yeah. you know, you're making those decisions, right? Yeah. And so, um, so that's my triangle approach. No, I love, I love it. I just, um, a couple episodes ago, two episodes ago, I had uh, Debbie Goldstein on the yeah. And, she, you know, she she really helps students get into college and, and do the college planning piece and also helps with the financials and, and everything else. But I love what you're saying about, you know, debt free degree uh, is how do you do that? You know, I'm in that position right now as we speak. My daughter has been accepted to most if I mean, she applied to 16 colleges. She got into 13, 13 or 14. Wow. And I know I'm super proud of her. And you know, it's, yes. down, it's down to her top two. One of them, yeah. you know, she has a full, basically a full ride and yeah. she could graduate for four years or four and a half, however long it takes her to get through at a public university at Berkeley for zero debt. Like she wouldn't have to have any student loans. Yes. Stanford. Yes. She also got accepted to, which I'm super proud of her. Yes, um, yes. We're still waiting. So hopefully by next week, I'll have uh, more information to share with the audience. But you know, we're still waiting. But the reality is we're probably not going to get much on the financial aid piece. And you know, we're looking at $60,000, $70,000 a year, $280,000. That right. It's just, I mean, it's undergrad. And yes, Stanford's a great school. But when you talk about the ROI... Yes. Of the ROI difference yes. between a Stanford and a Berkeley when her, you know, Berkeley has the program she really, um, for sustainability and in the environment, which is so important to her, you know, I just don't see as an undergrad, the ROI being there for right. that type of school. You know, I think that right. obviously the, the prestige factor and all, you know, it, it all culminates together from her perspective. But when you look at the pure financials, it's just not worth it in terms of, one degree over another. And when you can right. help a student graduate debt-free, which is my goal, like right. help them right. graduate debt-free so they can afford a home and they can afford, you know, the, the right. other things in life that they want to pursue, you know, maybe going on a vacation. I mean, when you have that much student loans over your head, that's just right. going back to the whole non-violence. Like that is just not a supportive environment that we, that's not protecting our kids in my mind. So, right. Right. Well, you know, I, I even have um, one student that I worked with in the fall. She's a junior. But the reason that we work together is because her mom said we were wink, wink, going to pay off her student loans. We wanted her to have skin in the game the whole time. Mm-hmm. But we were going to tell her, but we were going to pay them off at the end. But after she heard me speak, she said, why should I pay off student loans? Why shouldn't she access this $30 billion and all these other things that we can put into place? And then I can give her a down payment on a home. Right. I mean. If you're willing, if if you as parents are willing to go into debt for $280,000, what what are you willing to give your child for $280,000 post-graduation? Yeah, just to be clear, we're not willing to go into debt. Yeah, just want to make that really clear and not like that. But 
you know, I mean, that's, that's something to think about, yeah. you know, what would that look like? You know, the other thing too, that I always encourage people to do is whatever your, your heart's desire school is that that really is where you want to go. And you've got a great deal somewhere else. Go to the one and say, Hey, you know, so she could go to Stanford and say, Berkeley has offered me this package, you know, where, where I'm only going to end up paying this small amount. Are you willing to match it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I've had lots of students say that that, that has happened for them. Um, she could also think about transferring in, um, you know, going, you know, depending on, you know, there are all those different, you've got to investigate all those different options and make sure that, you know, the scholarships that you're accepting don't, that they're just for one year or whatever. And so, you know, you need to look at your own situation, but there are always ways to do it. And again, at the end of the day, you know, is, is a degree from one school, regardless of the name, school A, you know, really worth $280,000 more than a degree at school B. Right. You know, whatever, whatever you put in A and B. Yep. So. Yep. No, I completely, I completely agree with you. And Dr. Roz, I completely enjoyed our conversation today. What, what kind of parting words of wisdom do you have for my, my listeners uh, before we close up our conversation today? Oh, okay. So uh, two things. Number one, um, I am passionate about debt-free degree. And um, if you are interested in me just, you know, talking to you one-on-one about what your plans are, ways to investigate, then um, I think Natalie will have my contact information and please feel free to reach out. I, I, you know, even like the lady I was talking about with law school, she said, what, what should I do? She was kind of floundering and, you know, and I said, you need to get an LSAT book. And you need to ace that LSAT because that will help you get scholarships in law school, which will offset some of this debt that you have in undergrad. So, you know, even if it's um, things like that, this can kind of help you think about that long term. You know, what does that look like? And then visit the kingcenter.org um, online and look at those six steps. Look at those six principles, thinking about our, our um, definition of nonviolence and attending, you know, the trainings there. Everything is on Zoom right now. And um, just thinking about ways that you can incorporate nonviolence personally and then and then in your sphere of influence, whatever that looks like. Fantastic. And if you also wouldn't mind, um, I'll put it in the show notes. If you could put the the if you could name the Facebook group again um, for the I, I know you said it was something about bridge. Um, oh, be the bridge. Be the bridge. Be the bridge. Yes. OK, perfect. Uh-huh. I will yeah. put that in the in the Facebook notes or in the show notes right. as well. Um, that can right. help people get there for more education and information. But great. Super excited and glad to have you on today. Thank you for sharing your time with us and your wisdom. And as always, just loved our conversation. So oh, you are such a delight, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for um, really sharing your platform. I mean, uh, really the definition of serv- servant leader is um, someone who says, I've been there. I've done this. Now let me edify other voices. And you do that so well, so seamlessly. And um, it was really a delight to be with you. So thank you so much. And I am going to be listening to see what happens with you and your daughter and uh, the college <laughs> trajectory, because yes, I loved, I loved that episode. Um, you know, and, and, you know, that's one of the things I, uh, your friend does so much work in terms of the college admission process. And that's not where I put my focus mm-hmm. um, just because that is also, I mean, that's, that's a whole nother ball game, honestly. And the way that she brought all that together was so phenomenal. So um, the fact that you've got both of us on here, I mean, that's, that's, 
a, a real benefit to your listening audience. And so I'm eager to hear what you all decide. Uh, thank you, Dr. Roz. I will keep you posted. Yeah. All right. Take care. Have a good day. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Thank you.